I just was reading about Ephesus just yesterday and uh, some of the archaeology and also some of the practices. Everything that it, it talks about in Acts and in I'm preaching through Ephesians, it's all verified in history. And it makes more sense the better we understand history. There are all these other religions, including a lot of them that claim to be Christian, that are running away from history and running away from facts because they, they're, they'd rather have something that exists only in their mind. So today, and I'm going to get to you, Brian, today I'm going to show you from John the, the apostolic claim of biblical Christianity that Jesus Christ came into this world the creator himself the second person of the trinity literally did come into our world and he speaks to us truth about things that have to do with heaven and earth and he never asked anybody to take a blind leap into the dark the Bible doesn't say we need a lot of religious followers for believe us just to make us happy. And literally for Christians, we're not bound to anything This not taught bindingly by Christ and his apostles. We have liberty in certain things, but we don't have to serve religious leaders. So I see all of these religions, including ones claiming to be Christian, Binding people to everything under the sun. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to believe this. You got to give us your money. You got to do this and that and the other thing. No, you don't. Jesus came to set us free. And he said, you'll know the truth and the truth sets you free. Now, Brian, yeah, that one's got plenty of cord. You got to just turn it on. Uh, with Easter approaching now, churches all over are going to swell with people. And they don't believe anything that you just said, the majority of them. And like we were studying last week with the marriage supper of the Lamb and uh, uh, all this predetermined in eternity past and, and things like that, people don't believe it. They don't believe in the, the Word of God. Yeah. So what we want to do today now is... Um I'm going to take a little stroll through John before we go. Then we're going to go to Luke. And then I'm going to, I promise you, I'm going to get back to Acts. But I want to talk about who speaks for God and whether our beliefs need to be grounded in objective reality or whether it's good enough just to believe whatever we feel like. You should have some sheets. We're going to take a little stroll through John looking for something particular. We went through John 9. We learned how to read. I say that a little facetiously. We learned how to read the, the biblical author determines the meaning. And now we want to know, you use some of those skills we learned about what's being said by the Holy Spirit-inspired biblical author, in this case, John, who was an eyewitness to Christ and what he did and said. And what, what claims are being made? And I think we can do that. John 1, 17 and 18, we're going to begin with today. Here's what it says. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, has explained him. Now, the last time we were on this slide, someone brought up a textual issue with different manuscripts. That comes up now and again. And a good Bible or a, a good commentary will have footnotes about what manuscripts have what. And there's a debate about whether it should be only begotten Son or only begotten God. The good news is, both are actually true ontologically. Jesus really is God, the Son, and he is only begotten, and he is the Son. Now, I, I did some research on this. I want to give you, some of you are working on being scholars yourselves. 
I encourage scholarship. I'm sure you all are in some way. So I would appreciate it when I had a good class in seminary where the professor would tell us what's the best commentaries from the perspective of believing that the biblical author's intent is the meaning. I bought one because I got a deal on it and I because I already had a commentary on John from this, but it's J. Ramsey Michaels, J. Michaels. And it's a new version of the New International Commentary of the New Testament. And I've been using it now as I've been in John. It's fantastic. I thought J. Ramsey Michaels, Michaels, fantastic commentary on John. It's an updated version. I think Leon Morris, who was great, had the first one. I'm using Michaels now because it's got the latest material about reading these things and talking about them. We can, in this case, I'm going with only begotten God because it seems it's certainly emphasized. It was in the Alexandrian, the the older manuscripts, and it seems to be a little more difficult reading because you normally see only begotten son. And it seemed more likely that Someone thought, well, maybe somebody made a mistake, should have been son. Michael's argued this. You can look it up for yourself. You're not led astray either way. People say, well, but look at that. I didn't know there were all these things. Listen, if you believe in some of these other things or ancient documents, they don't have anything but one reading to go by. We've got an embarrassment of riches. And hand-copied manuscripts that are ancient and many, many of them. And so then it gives us the ability to find out what's probably the best reading. None of, it, none of it leads us astray other than the ending of Mark. We don't even preach that because there's no evidence that it was written by Mark, this valid evidence, and it teaches things that we know aren't true, like picking up serpents and so on and so forth. So there you go. That's my little extra about manuscripts. But let's see what it says here. The law was given through Moses. Now we're going to go forward with this. John, as he teaches about what Jesus said and did and who he debated, John is claiming that Jesus is the greater Moses who is predicted by Moses. Okay? So Moses, who was the greatest figure as far as someone who wrote for God, because he wrote the Pentateuch, and who was up on Sinai and saw literally a visible, tangible manifestation of Yahweh, who, who was, it was so glorious he had to be hidden in the cleft of the rock. And it says in, in the Bible that he spoke face to face with God. We'll see that in a bit. And here is Jesus who's greater than Moses. The law was given, but in Christ, God's promises are realized when the very Messiah comes from heaven to earth. The creator of the universe walked tangibly on the face of the earth in real time, real history, spoke real tangible words and languages that people understood in places that can be visited to this very day, they really exist. And he made claims that we can evaluate whether they're valid or not. The greatest claim that he made was that, tear down this house and in three days I'll build it again. And he was speaking of his body, that he'd be crucified and then raised from the dead. So Jesus is the one Moses predicted. We talked about that. And let me quickly read this to you. I think it'll be quicker that way. You can turn to it, Deuteronomy 18, 15, and then 18 and 19. I'll read the whole section. This is what uh, uh, Moses said. Okay, we'll see why this is important. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Moses said that, a prophet like me. Moses was what? The lawgiver. Pentateuch is attributed to Moses. From among you, that is amongst the Jews, from your countrymen, 
Notice what it says, you shall listen to him. You shall listen to him. A little preview. I promise you I'm getting back to Luke X. I'm going to get back into Luke, and we're going to go to the Mount Transfiguration, and there God himself spoke from heaven. Moses and Elijah disappear. Jesus is transfigured. What did God say? This is my son. Listen to him. Yahweh inspired Moses to write. Moses received the words of God directly from God at the tent of meeting. So this is the son. You listen to him, Deuteronomy 18, 15, 16. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord, your God in horror about the day of the assembly saying, well, now may hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see his face or fire or I'll die. They, they knew they were going to die. They were wicked sinners. Moses, you go talk to God. We're going to die. Our God is a consuming fire. Moses was there at the burning bush. God spoke to Moses. And so then Moses went to talk to God. And he didn't come back right away. So what did they do? They built an idol, a golden calf. We'll make a golden calf. This is your God who took you out of Egypt. See, God was a consuming fire. He was very dangerous. Yahweh. The calf was no threat because if they got mad at him, they could melt him down and turn him into earrings again. (laughs) Okay, calf, we're sick of you. We're going to make somebody else. Yahweh is the living God. Verse 17, the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. In other words, their motives may be bad, but their idea was good. They've spoken well. Verse 18, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. I will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he will speak in my name, I myself will require of him. Jesus claims that that was him. I'll show you that. I'll prove it today. Let's go to the next slide. John 3. Now let's see what kind of words Jesus spoke and what about and why they ought to be believed and listened to. John 3. Now I realize this is an overview of some of the claims that have to do with who speaks for God. John 3, 12 and 13. It's on our slide. If I told you earthly things and you did not believe, now this had to do with the Nicodemus narrative. Remember? How can I be born again? You must be born again. Okay. If I told you earthly things you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Now we're going to see this. This seems a little confusing sometimes, but I'm going to show you that I don't think it really is. But Jesus is the one who came from heaven to earth who will ascend into heaven. And this ascending and descending is a, I think, is a review of something that happened in chapter one. I'm going I'm to show you this. I love reading the Bible. I learned something every single day, and I've been doing this for 45 years. Last night I was reading about Ephesus. I learned more. What a great thing where you can't ever get done learning. So who is it? that could tell us about earthly things truthfully and heavenly ones. All of the false prophets, all of the false religions, all of the mythological stuff is made up by people who don't speak for God. They can't tell you or prove that anything they're saying is true. So this is from the Nicodemus narrative. Jesus is the one who speaks the truth about both heaven and earth. We must listen to him. Now, let me give you a little preview of what we're going to do in Matthew and Luke as well and some of these other places when we get to it. I want to make a claim and then hopefully prove it. If we want to have some fun and tell mythological things to children because it's fun to do that, When do we do it? In other words, let's say 
for the sake of our discussion, you wanted the kids to have fun believing in an Easter bunny. I'm saying that now because we're, we got that season come on us. And so a lot of parents like to have fun because the kids are so cute and they get dressed up in a little bunny suit. Or So you're going to tell your kids there's a, a bunny that lays eggs. Okay, now we laugh because we're not kids anymore, but if some little kid, if you do it, maybe when they're three years old, you actually, you know what I mean? A lot, it's fun for people. I'm not here to say you're an evil person if you had a bunny or whatever, but I'm just making an analogy. If you're going to tell mythology to kids, you got to do it when they're little, knowing when they get old, they'll realize, oh, it's just a story, but, and they don't believe it. But in some cases, people are telling mythology to adults and they believe it. But why do you do it when they're real little? Let me just read this. Mark 10, 15. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Here's my claim. When it comes to the things of heaven, the most brilliant adult in the world is like the three-year-old, depending on parents, to tell you what's real and what isn't. We know as much about heaven as the three-year-old knows about earth. So you tell a three-year-old there's an Easter bunny, they'll believe it. Now, I'm not saying that people that do that have sinister motives. I'm just making an analogy because that's all the Bible's doing. Okay, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, how can I do that? See, he's an adult thinking of earthly things. I can't go back into my mother's womb. I, nobody can ever be born. See, he's thinking as an adult about earthly things. It's an analogy. Okay? The earthly things are analogies that Jesus used to make an illustration. Jesus came into this world and speaks as God, the very words of God, and he cannot lie. He always speaks the truth. If we do not believe what Jesus says about what I call the world of the spirits, be it good or bad, there are evil spirits, there is a devil, all this is true, but so there are good angels and there is God and there is heaven. What we know about it, we only know because Jesus told us. And he's not going to tell us there's an Easter bunny because he's not doing that. He's telling us cold, sober truth about salvation. It is too important. It's too important for to be trivialized. And this is what we need to know. I really am wanting to be able to explain this as clearly as I can because I don't think people get it. I don't think it's been often even discussed very well in commentaries. But I think the claim is very clear. Now, we know that this Nicodemus was interested in Jesus, but he came by night because he was afraid of his contemporaries, right? And so Jesus is talking to him. And so it says in verse 1 of John 3, it was Nicodemus, came by night. Verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, so no one can do these things unless God is with him. So he has that much belief. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then so Nicodemus, verse 4, how can man be born? I mentioned this. And her second time, his mother's womb. See, the earthly analogy is hard to understand, which it is, but Jesus is there to explain it. Verse 5, John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, uh, that one again is debated. Okay, some people say water there is baptism. And I, again, uh, if you want to spend money on commentaries, J. Ramsey Michaels on John is worth every penny that you're going to spend. If you got Logos, you can get that version, which is what I have. He goes through all the things that have been said about this. 
it may be water, even the spirit. He who believes in me out of his innermost being will come springs of living water. But again, it's a, even that part of it is debated about what it means. Now, the people, if you're Lutheran, obviously it means baptism. But we don't want to think something's obvious just because of our parochial concerns. We want to know what Jesus said and what he meant. Even there, it may seem a little cryptic. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say you must be born again. So the Holy Spirit blows. And Demas says, how can these things be? Verse 10, you are a teacher of Israel. You don't understand See, Jesus is saying Moses prefigured all of this, but you don't get it. So I came here to tell you explicitly what Moses said. And if you're ever going to know, you're going to know now. Here's the creator of the universe, the one who saw Moses face to face at the tent of meeting and on Sinai. He's here telling you. If you're ever going to get it, this is the greatest opportunity there will ever be. The creator is telling you what's true about heaven and about the Holy Spirit. That's how we know. And it's an offense to God for people to say, no, I'd rather find a shaman or a witch doctor or some false teacher who claimed to go to heaven. Let me talk about that G. Ramsey Michaels. I got some material from him here to pick your interest, pique your interest. Michael says this about John, about this passage. What is surprising about Jesus' testimony both here and elsewhere in the gospel, it is based like John's on what he has seen, says Michaels. We might have expected from John, but not necessarily from Jesus, until we remember the word was with God in the beginning. John 1, 1 and 2. And although no one has seen God, right? No one has seen God. It was Jesus, the one who was right beside the Father who told about him. John 1, 18, 537, 646, 838. Jesus, because of his preexistence, speaks what he knows. Michaels gets it. He came from, well, there's a song we sing, he came from heaven to earth. He speaks the very infallible, inerrant, and powerful, and spirit-filled words of God. And if we don't listen to him, we shall be deceived 100% of the time. We'll be believing in the Easter Bunny and never grow out of it. Go ahead. I just, uh, I I need to read some of these things many times. And I I recently was reading in Deuteronomy the the text that we just looked at, you know, Deuteronomy 18. Yes. And, And that last, you know, verse 19, it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, this is God, yeah, my words, which he shall speak in my name. That's the prophet to come. Yes. Of, of Moses. Uh, okay. I myself will require it of him. Yes. Okay. Now, I just, when you read fast, you just go right through that. And I thought, what does he mean? What, is, what, what does it mean, I myself will require it of him? And I think what that means, and I'd like your guys to clarify, God will judge us. In other words, we will, we will have, we will face God's judgment if we do not listen to this prophet, this person that will come yes. from Moses' uh, brothers. We are going to prove that you are absolutely right. And Jesus literally said that. And I put that up during my debate with one of the emerging. They hate that. Uh, do you want to bring the mic to Luann? By the way, if you're going to get cough drops, they need to come from the United Kingdom or they're no good. <laughs> well, while you're doing I the spent cough a lot drop, of money for cough drops. I got the best. While you're doing the cough drop thing, I just think it's a good time to interject because, you know, it's... The words coming from Jesus that we need to hear and we need to obey, and then how do we receive those? Because all false religions start with some leader who says they got this word from the Lord. You know, Joseph Smith heard somebody, Ellen White, David Koresh, Benny Hinn, Beth Moore, all of them claim that Jesus is speaking to them. But 
you know, that's not what you're referring to, and I know that you're going to get into where these words actually come from, because, you know, we sat in a Christian church, too, who taught you to, they were trying to encourage people to learn how to understand the promptings from the Lord, and everything's subjective, and your feelings end up driving the train, and, you know, we just need to know you know, who is the authoritative speaker? And today, where do we get those words? Amen. Well, we're claiming that Christ and his apostles. Yes, Eric. You know, something that Bob had taught me a long time ago, uh, he did an emergent lecture. That's where I first uh, met you. Remember, it was at Northwestern uh, College or at Bethel. Bethel. But um, one of the things that we have to, I think, realize today is the postmodern generation says that you can't know who God is because God speaks in an other world language. And therefore, because God speaks in an other world language, you can't understand. There's no contact point between humans and God. But what Bob is reminding us here today is that Jesus, who is God, speaks by way of analogy. It's called the analogical use of language. Yes. And so the way we know something of God, we shouldn't despair. We can truly know true things about him because God explains via analogy regarding things we can understand so that we really have a contact point with God. Luann, you just mentioned that people are going to feelings. That's because the postmodern generation took our Bible away saying you can't know what it says. God is so other that we can't even speak of him using language. God has a language. We have a language. They're not, commu- they're not compatible. But what Bob is showing us today is that Jesus, who is God, used analogy. We all know something of water. We know something of power. We know something of what the wind does in this John chapter 3. The wind does what it will, same as the Spirit. So he uses analogy. So here's my point. Don't despair. God speaks to us in ways that we can understand. We have to be post-postmodern. We have to get rid of that and say, no, God has spoken to us clearly. In the passage, do you remember the passage you cited to prove that to your crowd when you were debating the emergent was John 12, 48? Yes, that's the passage. Do you want to cite it? Do you remember? It says uh, the the one who doesn't, I think, do I have it here or not? Oh, I missed it. (laughs) Let's all turn there, John 12, 48. I think I got it in my notes. There it is. I've got it here on this slide. John twelve forty eight. I can read it. He who rejects me, this is Jesus. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings, Jesus said, has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. John twelve forty eight. So Jesus speaks for God, and there will be a judgment. So when I quoted that to Paget, him, him and his followers are just going crazy because, number one, they don't believe there's any judgment. We're going to, uh, the next CAC article is written, and I laid it out, and I sent it, we're going to publish it with a new intro, and it's chapter one of the book I wrote on Emergent. They believe, if you hear the word progressive, let me tell you what you're hearing. All of history, they believe, is progressing into a future paradise on earth without future judgment. And it's it's universally paradise for both earth and people. So anybody that says yes is not no, truth is not air, heaven is not hell, God is not man, in the, the sinful man other than the God-man Christ, and that there will be a judgment. They just, you, they believe in socially constructed reality and linguistics. Eric and I are going to do radio on this. I'm ready to go back and start doing radio. They believe that if you speak the right words, you create reality with your words. So you keep talking this way. And so you see debates on, political debates on TV, and people are saying you're lying And the other person said, no, that is a lie. And they'll just say the lie again. No, that's a lie. They'll lie again. Why do they keep lying when they know it can be proven to be a lie? Because they think their words are going to create paradise on earth. We have to fight anybody who believes in categories. We believe in social and spiritual evolution. Now, I've written about it. I've debated about it. wrote a book about it. We're going to publish on it. Jesus in John 12, 48, blows up the Hegelian synthesis once and for all. Opposites do not synthesize into a better 
future reality. That's what liberalism is. That's what theological liberalism is. That's what political liberalism is. Heaven on earth, paradise, without God and without judgment. That's what you run into. I'm not telling you who to vote for. That's not my business. There's a lot of sinners out there. You got to vote for one of them. I don't know who's. <laughs> but the fact is, don't believe the philosophy that there's no future judgment. There will not be. Okay, uh, this, I mean, that's, that's false. There will be, yes. Folds right into what you're saying. Certainly, I want to go back to Deut- Deuteronomy, the required word required, which is exactly what you're talking about. But the fact that there is a watershed, there is a left and there is a right, is a, a, a true comfort to us because we know Christ is, is there for us. And that's fantastic. But the reason why people don't like to hear that, I think, is because, uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, is because uh, the word go to hell is used in anger so much. And so they don't believe there that, is one, but if there was, well, they'd want you to go well, there. They, uh, they also use the term uh, Jesus <laughs> yeah. and don't necessarily uh, you say, I don't necessarily say amen either because they're not using it in the form that I would like for them to use it. So the whole idea of, of anger and uh, going to hell, uh, actually when we tell somebody they're going to hell, we're, we're saying that in love and we're saying that in warning and not in anger, and that's, that's a very difficult thing. Uh, therefore, it's the Holy well, Spirit they, well, that converts. See, not the idea that anything like this exists is what's offensive to post-modernity. Now, back to what Eric was saying. We've, we got to, maybe you can do it, Eric, if you don't mind, because your education is more recent than mine, but it's the same stuff. We need to make a slide about language, uh, how analogy works. There's three things, and this should be on a slide. Univocal. Univocal means one-to-one exactly. So if, if I say, as a human being, I stand upright, and I compare that to Eric, who stands upright. I mean, nor- a normal human being that isn't disabled. It's the nature of human beings to stand upright. So the other day they had a video of a gorilla walking upright for a ways. But see, that's equivocating unless you're using it only as an analogy. Okay? One human being compared to another, upright means the same thing. It's univocal. Equivocal is where you equivocate and it's meaningless. Okay? So what Eric was just talking about is postmoderns say this, all language about God is equivocating. And equivocation becomes meaningless, my famous square circle that I debated with Doug Paget about. And so the whole Bible is just one big massive equivocation. God is so other and so separate, if there is a God, Anything that could be said in human words is meaningless. It's all like blah, 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 blah. just blubber and blabber. Now that idea came ultimately from this materialistic rationalism, and the German philosophers wanted to save Christianity from rationalism, and they came up. Well, first Bart had this idea of the blind leap. We need to blindly leap into the Christian faith, not because it's rational or can be proven, but it's just what we ought to do. And once we leap into the other, then something good will happen. And some say Bart was just trying to break up the Hegelian synthesis, but that's a bunch of philosophy. So you have univocal, one-to-one, exact correspondence, only two different being, persons. You have equivocal, meaningless, and then you have analogical. Let me show you what analogical is about. Then I, I, I'm doing this, and I signed it to Eric. You can figure that out. Okay, let's, people nowadays really love dogs. I noticed dogs, they even, they had a car advertisement with a registered trademark, dog approved. They have a dog that's going to drive a car. Uh, I think I'd rather have a self-driving than a dog drive a car, but... See, but that's equivocating. 
because analogically, okay, so a man says, my wife loves me. And the man says, my dog loves me. Now, those are meaningful statements if you understand analogical language. My wife loving me is one human being created an image of God, loving another human being created an image of God. And that's how that is understood and known. A dog loving me is instinct. The dog is not a human being. The dog can, when I was a kid, they used to dump dogs out in the country when they got sick of them. And the dog would end up on some farm. So the farmer, if the farmer keeps the dog, then the dog loves that farmer. Okay? It's not like, well, I got divorced and now I got to go to this farmer. So that's analogical. Now, when it comes to God loving us, the love that existed from all eternity amongst the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is univocally God's love in its ultimate sense. God is love. We can know God's love by what Christ did objectively in history, but we know it analogically as humans. See, the German rationalist said that, no, that's all equivocation. God is so other that anything you say about God loving doesn't really mean anything. So once you divorce what we know about God from anything rational or anything objective, then you now have nothing left but philosophy. Well, imagine a God is a certain way or religion is a certain way, but there's no evidence for any of it. So we need to know those three terms, univocal, analogical, equivocal, and an equivocation is false and it's a meaningless nonsense. Analogy is how we speak about a lot of things. When Jesus told Nicodemus about being born again, that was analogical language. Okay? When Jesus speaks to us about heavenly things, analogically, he's taking heavenly reality and not being univocal in a wrong sense and not equivocating, but analogically telling us what we can know about God. Is that right, Eric? Is that how you understand it? And so we ended up having to debate some people who wanted to throw out all Christian theology. There's somebody over here. And then, boy, I may not get to Luke for a while. Get with it here. I was just going to say the insistence that we can't know what God is saying is to paganize Christianity. Well, right. See, it's interesting how that all developed because earlier, yeah, but you end up just being pagan. Imagine anything you want. Who cares what? You know, we all need a religion, so let it be anything we want. The Easter Bunny is as good a religion as anything else. Now, the reason this happened in history was that the rash, we, they literally thought the rationalists were going to destroy Christianity once and for all. We can prove scientifically there's no such thing as resurrection from the dead. So we've got to, if we're going to have religion, we've got to disconnect it from history and verification. But that's false. And now we know we don't have to do that. I was talking to Brian Beers earlier. There was a famous atheist who set out to disprove Christianity. And he looked at all the evidence and he found that the only viable explanation was that Jesus really was raised from the dead. And he did predict it. And it's true. But then he didn't become a Christian. He said, decided it was for the Jews only. He knows that Christianity's claims are true and verified in objective history. This one, he's a guy from the UK. I can't remember the name of the philosopher. But he decided not to be a Christian. It shows you the heart is hard. When I preached on this over the decades now, I used to like to go to Matthew. If there's anybody that knows that Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the soldiers in Matthew. And what did they do? They went and took money to lie about it. It's one thing to know is true. It's another thing to submit to Christ. So, well, we don't like it. We, 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 look at it in John. 
Well, let's go to John 3, 14 and 15. Here's analogical language I just described to you. As, there's our analogy, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must they, that's divine necessity, as John uses the term, must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. So Moses lifted up the serpent. Does anybody remember that incident? It's in Numbers 21, 5 through 9. And there was this uh, fiery serpents that came among the people and were biting them, and many were dying. Numbers 21, 7, so the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. See, they were rebelling against God, and so this judgment came. So this is because of their sin. We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Remember, they said, well, we don't want Moses to speak for us. That was a sin. It's the same as Israel in Jesus' day saying, we don't want Jesus to speak to us for God. And the old covenant said, we don't want Moses to tell us anything. Now they're saying, we don't want Jesus. Jesus is making this analogy. He came from heaven. We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you, Moses. Intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents. Anybody notice that sometimes when bad things happen, all of a sudden people want to get religion? Uh, Maybe Moses does have something going for him. These serpents are really bad. And Moses interceded for the people. 21.8, the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set on a standard. It should come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. Now, why do that? Why put a serpent on a pole and tell people if they look to that, they wouldn't die? Eric, do you want to comment on that? I'll let my voice rest while you explain it. Yeah, you know, it really is a foreshadowing. There's a near to far aspect. Just as salvation was really brought about by that act and faith in Moses who speaks for God, this is a foreshadowing later of what we have in the New Covenant where you have Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, if we'll look to him, we ultimately have salvation. And you often see this, this near and far. Um, for example, I'll be talking later today in the sermon about the day of the Lord. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of foreshadowings of the day of the Lord. You would have a judgment upon Assyria. You'd have a judgment upon Babylon. But this is always foreshadowing the ultimate day of the Lord where God would intervene to save his people finally and forever, giving them a resurrection, but judging the people. And so in the same way, you see this type. In Numbers 21, Moses is a type. The serpent lifted up is a type. And it ultimately is designed by God in his providence to point towards Jesus Christ. Yeah. So this Moses typology. provided the serpent. Jesus, God provided Jesus. Amen. The son of man, which is an allusion to the Messianic prophecy in Daniel, who will be lifted up, that is, on a cross. Remember when they mocked him, they said, well, come down and then we'll believe you. We don't want a crucified Savior. We want somebody to do things the way we tell them to do it. Yes, Lonnie. Yeah, I I just wanted to say, didn't later this same serpent uh, become an idol? I've heard that. Did the Bible say that, or is that just from Josephus? Do you know, Eric? Yeah, I think it's uh, Josephus. Yeah, it may have happened, but the Bible doesn't itself say that. Jewish history. All right. Okay. Uh, quickly, Exodus 33, 9 through 11. Exodus 33, just, if you don't have it, do I, do I have it up there? Yeah, I'll read it. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of the tent, his tent. They were at their own tent. Moses was in the tent of meeting where God met with him. Yahweh met with him. Exodus 33, 11. The Lord, notice this, 33, 11. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, prosopon, 
in the, in the Greek or in the Septuagint, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. According to the scholars, Joshua judged it, lest anybody else would go in there. If they did, they would die. That's why they originally wanted Moses to go on Sinai, because they didn't want to die. God chose Moses. He spoke to him at the burning bush, Yahweh. On Sinai, he spoke to him as a man would speak to his friend. The Bible is given by objective revelation. Moses didn't go into an altered state of consciousness and would getting into that state have weird spiritual impressions and he wrote it down and it turned out to be the Ten Commandments. That's not what it says. Those ten words were written by the finger of Yahweh. The Pentateuch was written by Moses, who objectively God spoke to face to face. This was real. Jesus came into earth and spoke with John and Peter and the other disciples face to face. Yahweh speaking face to face with the apostles. Only this time it's the Son, God the Son. Dear ones, that's what it means. It's the objectivity of biblical truth given by God through his son to real people in real time, in real history. And when the people went to Israel, and I've been there, there are real places where these real things really happened. We're not following fables or myths. We're following cold, sober, objective truth that happened in history. The objectivity. Wait until the, the article that's going to come out will have the first chapter of the book I wrote about this and a new intro. The, the world we live in wants to unhitch religion from objectivity. And once you do that, you pull the pin. Now, I'm a farmer by heart. And when you pull the pin and drive the tractor, the wagon stays behind. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> Unlinch, unhitch, pull a pin. Tractor goes. What emergent, progressive, whatever you want to call it, Hegelian synthesis is where it comes from. You unhinge, pull a pin, objective history goes behind, and the only limit is the imagination of the philosopher who's thinking about what could be. I think if you want to say so, the founder of this was John Lennon. If you're not a modern founder. Imagine, remember his song, Imagine John Lennon? There's no, there's no heaven and hell. There's just imagine. Imagine this is paradise. The Beatles went out and found Eastern religion and brought it back. Imagine. Let me ask all of us a question. Do you want to believe someone, Jesus Christ, who made his claims objectively in real history? Paul said, there's no resurrection. We're all people miserable. The Bible's not telling us to be religious. It's not telling us we have to be like a three-year-old believing the Easter bunny. It's telling us to believe cold, sober truth the one who spoke to real people face-to-face in history and did what he said he was going to do, who was lifted up, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. There is eternal life. There is heaven. There is forgiveness of sins. He is coming again. We're not just trying to be mean. I've, I've been told that before. Why are you so mean and so strict? I did a seminar here once on this same thing. Beth Moore, famous person who was teaching Christian women in churches all over America, claimed that she was going to have her own tent of meeting and go in there and be like Moses. Well, she might as well be Joseph Smith. And so we exposed that, and everybody was mad and accused me of being a meanie. I'm going to be mean to this nice lady. Because this is damnable heresy that will send people to hell that really does exist. 
Beth Moore is not Jesus Christ, and she's not Moses, and she's not face-to-face with God. It's a big lie. Don't believe it. You know, this is another good example, Bob, of um, analogical use of language. We know that God is spirit, so he doesn't have a face. And so when we start realizing that God speaks by way of analogy, it helps us to understand passages like that. What does it mean that Moses was face-to-face with him? Well, in the ancient Near East, if you beheld the king's face, you had his favor. Right. And so the idea is Moses uniquely had the favor of God. He really did see a mediated form of God. Remember, no one can see God truly as he is and live. So in what sense did he really see God? His ultimate divine essence and being. Exactly. And so oh, here... Even Moses would have died. Right. Amen. That's so right. That's th- right. Think about in like number six, may the Lord's face shine upon you. Well, what does it mean for his face to shine upon? It means you have his favor. And right. so here, it if means you're that... you're talking to a human and they smile. Exactly. shake your hand. Right. Means they agree. So Moses uniquely has the favor of God. He uniquely speaks for him. And Bob is showing us Jesus uniquely speaks for God. And that's really a big connection that we have to see. So again, amen. So the analogical use of language helps us understand things like this. The reason this is important is when you see passages like God changed his mind, you know, you'll have heretics will latch on to that. Well, that's an anthropomorphism. Um, God knew all things from all of eternity. But it shows that he really does relate with humans. So, again, this helps us understand. Well, just like humans relate to their dog like the dog was a human. Okay, that's why they can sell Subarus by sticking a dog behind the wheel. I saw that the other day. I told Diane, I'll never buy one of those. Go ahead. I don't care how good they are, but I'll buy them. I'd rather have a human drive my car. Go ahead. Uh, just referring back to something that you spoke about earlier, about the, the servant, the, bron- the bronze servant. Yes. Uh, it does talk about in the Bible, about how they made it into an idol. It does? Yeah. It, this is... Uh, well, good for you. Second uh, Kings 18.4. It's during the time of King Hezekiah. It says, He removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves and broke in pieces the bronze servant that Moses had made for unto those... For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. God bless you, Dana. I am so glad to come to church and learn something. Free coffee. Yeah, all the, give him a, a monster of the coffee. Great, that's okay. So there it was. I, I should have known that, but I didn't. But I love to learn. How many of you know it's good to come to church and learn? Because we want to turn things into idols. Even Imagine if they recovered the actual Ark of the Covenant. They made a movie. And what, actually, in the movie, it didn't turn out so good for the guys that looked in there, did it? Uh, and, okay, so we want to... I mean, somebody that's going to make... Let's make a slide. Maybe you can do that, I don't, or I can. Univocal, analogical, equivocal... And if you throw out the analogical, then we don't know anything about God. Because we're not God, we're just human beings, fallen ones. Oh, we've got a few minutes here. All right, this is very important. John 5, 39 through 40. We were in John 5 earlier when we were learning John 9. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. I've seen false teachers, and I've debated them, say they were wrong to study the scriptures. If you study the scripture, it'll deceive you. You've got to go by your imagination or by direct contact with the spirits. No, he's not rebuking them for studying scripture. He's rebuking them for unbelief. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Their scriptures proved to them, because Jesus had the same scriptures that he quoted, scripture cannot be broken, that he is the one Moses prophesied about in Deuteronomy 18. That he's the one who'll be like the broad serpent that'll be lifted up. Whoever believes in him will come away from the curse and will not die but have eternal life so search here in the Greek can, is, in its form is either imperative or indicative either way they ought to search the scriptures and in fact they did 
But as a matter of fact, they wouldn't believe what they said. Jesus kept going to the scripture and quoting it. Here I am. They pride themselves but refuse to obey the truth. If they really believed the scriptures, they would have life. Now I talked about Nathaniel. Remember I talked about he who descended and ascended? Let me quickly read this. John 1, 45 through 51. The Nathaniel earlier on. Philip found Nathaniel, said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. See, remember for hermeneutics, authorial intent. So we can conjecture, well, how did Nathaniel know that so soon? No, Philip, I mean. How did Philip know that so soon? John wants us to read this and intends us to believe that this is true and correct because it's reiterated later. The author determines the meaning, not the reader. Philip was right about this. We found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? When, in Iowa, we used to tease each other depending on what, you know, whether you were a Dutch or not. Because everybody either knew somebody Dutch or they were part Dutch. And they used to say, if you aren't Dutch, you aren't much. <laughs> and then the people that weren't Dutch would say, well, you can't believe that. It was a Hollander that said it. That's how they. So, I mean, people do that. They tease each other. It doesn't mean they were mean spirited. So their saying was, nothing good comes to Nazareth, so why would we believe this? It's just a colloquialism. Philip said, well, come and see. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, now Jesus knows man. Remember, he knows the heart. He's the heart knower. Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under a fig tree, I saw you. More evidence that Jesus is God. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said to him, because you, I said to you that I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is where the ascending, descending terminology came from earlier. And who can ascend into heaven? But he who descended from heaven. Jesus is the link between heaven and earth. And so that song is right. He came from heaven to earth to show the way. If you want to know true things about the hev- about heaven, you must listen to Jesus and his apostles. Jesus came from heaven to earth and speaks for God. John 5:44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that's from the one and only God? See, they searched the scriptures and they knew. Somebody would come, but they wouldn't believe. Yes, one more, and then we've got to be done. Yes. Real quickly, um, another time when the heavenlies opened up and appeared to Daniel in chapter 10, I believe it was Gabriel that said, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. Yeah. And that was long ago. Amen. The truth is found in the scriptures. Now, let me close with something here. After being in ministry now for a long, long time, spanning quite a few decades, I have to say this. The one thing that keeps people from believing what's obviously true is religious tradition. Religious tradition. In my lecture this morning, I'm comparing religious tradition to the Easter bunny. You can tell a three-year-old that there's a bunny that lays eggs and hides them, and they have all kinds of fun. 
But they get older, you don't expect them to believe that. Jesus isn't asking anybody to do that. Jesus came into this world and spoke human languages, understandable by the speaker, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, and the hearers, John and the apostles and the others that heard him. And they're meaningful, so much so that they're binding. Okay? And uh, the reason people don't believe in Jesus isn't for lack of evidence. It's because religious tradition blinds them and they're afraid of losing the approval of fellow religious people. Let me close with it. John twelve forty three. This is what Jesus said. For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. We've got to decide whose approval is important. Human tradition or God's. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to be the one prefigured by the brazen serpent in the wilderness that Moses lifted up. Thank you, dear Lord, for your son who bore the curse and that we look to him. We're free from the curse of death. We have the gift of eternal life. May we believe and may we trust you. Pray that you be with Eric this morning as he preaches the word of God to us and help us to honor you in all we do. In Jesus' holy name, amen.